This podcast is a conversation Kickstarter that you do not want to miss out on. Fifteen voices, thousands of choices, and millions of stories come together to share our insights, knowledge, and collective experiences. Whether you are a high school student, confused about which career to choose, a university fresher or apprentice, unsure about how to build your skill set, or even a recent graduate figuring out your place in this world, this, this podcast, podcast is for you. you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fresh Advisors Board's podcast. Today we have some very special guests with us who are going to talk about a topic that's very near and dear to all of us. And before we introduce you to the topics, I'd like to introduce you to our co-panelists today. And I'll leave them to introduce themselves and talk about a bit of their journey. Thank you so much, Hemi. So I'm Sasha. Um, I'm based in London and I'm 25. I always say 24 by accident, but I need to just get to the reality that I'm at my quarter life crisis. I'm based in London and my journey started, I guess, when I left school and got into university, even though all my teachers thought I would fail. <laughs> um, I guess it's like a come up story, if you if you will. Um, so then I went to the University of Kent. I studied philosophy. Um, so I have a lot of soft skills by the nature of my course. And I then ran in the leadership elections and represented over 20,000 students at my university and became the Students' Union president. So from going through clearing to becoming the Students' Union president was quite amazing. Um, in my time there, I learned a lot of skills. I developed a, you know, environmental strategy and my passion for the environment and climate activist, I guess, really started. Um, so then when I left, I left in the peak <laughs> point of COVID, which was very unfortunate for myself because I know a lot of young people struggled to find a job. But I eventually got a job at an environmental charity called Friends of the Earth. And then since then, now I've moved to a different job working in transport. So I'm a campaign and advocacy officer. And that's the short version of my life. Awesome. And can we ask Wayne what he does? Hello, everyone. Um, Hemi, Sasha, thank you very much for um, uh, allowing me to take part in this conversation. So my name's Wayne and... Um, I'm in the autumn of my career, so I'm 59. I'm the other side of uh, um, Sasha. But, um, yeah, interestingly, when I when I left school, I was very good at, uh, at maths. And um, so they, I saw a career advisor, as you do, and they said, yeah, you want to be an accountant. That's what you want to do. So I thought, yeah, okay. So I tried that for... A year realized yeah okay I was good at maths but um, it wasn't my passion and my passion was people but there wasn't really anywhere for me I couldn't recognize um, a job or a career that fit, fit into that so eventually um, when I got to about 28 years old there was a thing called human resources or personnel which dealt with people and I thought there's my slot so I became um uh, a learning and development professional, or, or still am. And um, for around 30 years, I've worked in a number of charities, commercial organisations, um, professional institutions. I've worked for myself as well. Um, but pretty much learning my trade 
and uh, never feeling as though I've reached it, which is which is great, which keep, keeps me hungry. And uh, learning from other people is probably uh, my biggest uh, life learning. And as long as I keep that open, I think that um, I'm going to be open to everything, including um, the subject that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I feel as though I'm a, a student. I have, have views. Uh, I have life experience, but I'm always learning. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. Fantastic. And so, yes, uh, for everyone listening in, I hope my voice is familiar. Uh, we've already uh, met once or, uh, talking about mental health, and we're back now today with another fantastic topic. So my name's Himanshi, and I've also had a very diverse journey. I'm from Kenya. I studied chemical engineering, but now I run a social enterprise that focuses on STEM education for young adults. And we try to empower people who have disadvantages in terms of background, in terms of knowledge, in terms of accessibility. And today, I think the key word already Wade has given us is people in all our individual ways and in our unique ways. Each one of us loves to engage with people, loves to include people and loves to just be people people. So today's topic is actually about equality, diversity and inclusion. Because in every aspect of our, of our lives, we engage with people from all walks of life. And that's exactly what we're going to discuss today, a bit about our experiences in the EDI space, talk about what have been our experiences uh, engaging in different conversations and our personal experiencing navigating the biases around EDI or combating these biases and creating a better world for the, you know, betterment of everyone. So I'll throw in our first question already, which is something very simple. Um, EDI is such a broad topic, but what are your personal definitions of inclusion, diversity, and equality? So I'll start with Wayne in this one and tell us what you think what EDI means to you personally. You, you know what, it's, that's a really good question because I think they get grouped together um, quite easily. Um, and I think, um, you know, making sure that we unpack what they are is is really important. So for me, um, inclusion is around making sure that we recognise individual differences and not just recognising it, but knowing that there's a positivity with the difference. Difference isn't bad. Difference is all positive and um whether it's from an organisational perspective or whether a social perspective, there's only, there's only gain. Um, for, for inclusion, I think it's about people ensuring that their, their thoughts and ideas are represented, um, that they recognise it, that it's okay to speak, that, again, it complements um, diversity. Um but I think it's around getting everyone's perspectives and different perspectives for everyone. And then when you have um, equality, I've actually, I think that the whole, th the, the three of them, they all come together and people need this sense of belonging. And equity is around making sure that there's fairness. It's about the fairness and which, if you put a Venn diagram together, then I think you get EDI. But in the middle of it, I think that the, the, the key word that we're looking for is, um, for me, it's around belonging. Um, and those three 
points represents it. Awesome. Mm. And Sasha, over to you. Yeah, no, that that was a really good introduction, Wayne. I think for me, um, you know, EDI, I think, you know, I was brought up thinking that it was more or less like equality, diversity and inclusion, which I definitely think it is. But I think in the most recent years, we have seen the expanding of the E to equity as well. And I know Wayne's covered that slightly. Um and I think it should actually be E-E-D-I because you can't have equity without equality. Um, and I think, you know, like Wayne said, some of them are not interchangeable. Um, you know, there's one thing having equality in an organization where everyone can get in free. Um, you know, for example, the same the same kind of process. But then in the organization in itself, you don't have diversity and it's, you know, it's not... Uh, I would say any organization that's not diverse in itself or, you know, hits hits markers, I guess, of EDI, but in actual practical terms is not fit for purpose. So I think it's about one, seeing the world reflected in an organization, but also seeing those opportunities reflected on the people who want to get them and want to, to go for them. So I think that's what it means for me because it's, for example, uh, I'm a black woman. Um, I'm also... Uh, have a disability for example Um, and EDI for me is not just seeing other women in the room for example because I think when we look at EDI we also need to talk about intersectionality and what that where where does that fit into you know how the workplace runs or opportunities or everything else like that so I think it's it's a complex topic but I think it's much wider than the words itself Mm. Bang yeah. on. I think, you know, if I take collectively what you've said, it's exactly the ideology that, uh, you know, I resonate with. And rightfully so, like you said, it could be EDD, you know, EEDNI, <laughs> because equity is such a big part. And this is a conversation that I often have with people in my perspective, like when we say equality, inclusions and diversity, much like what Wayne said is, you know, the intersection of all of that comes from a sense of belonging. And in my personal opinion, you can only get that sense of belonging when you have been equitably given all the opportunities to feel like you're in the right place and you're being, you know, you're mm. in every way, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, uh, you know, in any way that you identify, you're being fostered there. So that sense of belonging, definitely equity is something that's uh, becoming a new concept that uh, sort of drives that point home that rather than just talking about EDNI, let's also talk about equity. Uh, because equity, like you said, you know, it looks very different to very many people uh, because we're not one standard label, right? We can't just be mm-hmm. defined by our race, our abilities, you know, our job descriptions, our background, mm-hmm. our socioeconomic status. So yeah, I think this is a very fantastic, like three words that I'm picking is equity, sense of belonging, and looking beyond certain and specific labels to see how broad this topic actually is. And if we look at, you know, when we're talking about EDI, we have some, we all know about a lot of the benefits that come in terms of fostering a more uh wider scope in EDI, if you look at companies that perform better globally, you can see those that have greater diversity, inclusivity, um, and inclusions for that matter, do about, you know, about half as better as companies that don't. And as a younger generation, definitely, this is something I personally look at is 
when I'm looking for job opportunities or any careers development opportunities, I look at, you know, what uh, is there, uh, what is that company or the organization's ethos around EDI, but also how much of their EDI ethos is actually reflected into their day-to-day. So how diverse are they? How equitable or, uh, you know, equal are they? And uh, does everyone in their workspace have the equal voice and an opportunity to voice that? So I would like to hear some of your stories as well around EDI experiences, you know, anything that you feel is something that gave you that light bulb moment in life where you felt inclusive or a light bulb moment where you felt like there's need for change. So this time, maybe, Sasha, if I could start with you. Yes, um, I'm seeing what can I say without getting in trouble. (laughs) Um, I've had a lot of good experiences, but also I would say negative experiences in my lifetime. So most of the jobs that I have worked on, and I think, I think generally, I think growing up, I'm just understanding how a lot of organizations are not as diverse as I would like them to see. So for example, in the organization that I currently work at, I'm the only person, the woman of color, but I'm also the only black person. And that comes with a lot of challenges, especially when it comes to Black History Month in the UK. And everyone's trying to scrabble on like, what are we going to do for Black History Month? And sometimes, you know, I, I am very up for leading change. But also sometimes, you know, when my when I'm in a bad headspace myself, I don't want to be you know, the pioneer of of these things at work. Um, But my experiences have been a mixture of things. Um, I can start with, I guess, I guess let's start with school. Um, So I'm dyslexic um, and I was only diagnosed with dyslexia at university. Um, And I was born in Zimbabwe. um, And if anyone knows colonial history as almost nobody knows in the UK because (laughs) it's not really taught in schools, is we were colonized by the British Empire. So a lot of people in Zimbabwe speak English, Um, hence my accent. (laughs) Um, And I generally think the reason why I struggled in school is because people knew that I was from a different country. So they just assumed that I didn't speak English as well as someone who was born in the UK. But the fact was, is actually that I was struggling um, with a hidden, you know, disability, for example, that I definitely tried to hide my whole school life. And then it got to a point where I was like, I actually need some support. And it doesn't mean that I'm less clever or less entitled to opportunities. It just means that I don't need to work like 150%. I can work at 100% just like everybody else. And I don't need to you know, overcompensate for the way that I am because being dyslexic uh, is challenging for myself and it is 100% my frustration, but it's also a great advantage to the way that I think and the way that I, you know, use that to to my ability. So in terms of that, I think that's probably one of the ones that will stay with me forever because I grew up thinking, you know, I wasn't good enough. Um, and I think that was one of the the main ones that I think that will probably stay with me for life. In terms of work, I do have some some other stories. So obviously in the nature of my job, I was a student representative and I had to represent everyone. And like I said before, I'm a, I'm a black woman. I'm, I, I'm a disabled person. And in that nature, and I also come from a very working class background, in that nature in itself, 
I represent a lot of intersects. Um, but people don't understand that because all they see is you're always talking about black people. <laughs> um, what about all the other people? And I'm like, actually, you do realize that you can also be a woman and black and disabled and also working class, but also by changing the way the system works for one person you are also benefiting a lot of other people and people don't understand that that is what also EDI is they just think it's a trade-off between one person versus another and that's actually not what it is um so I've had my experiences and you know feedback that I've gotten from CEOs of company is you know Sasha's one-dimensional all she talks about is race and then I'm like actually you focused on race part of the conversation and you forgot all the other things that I said about you know intersectionality so I, I have had some uncomfortable conversations and I have at, at most been the only person of color or the only black woman in, in the room. So I've had to navigate a lot of white spaces. So I guess my my experience is not going to be um, new to anyone else that is a person of color. But I think because I got the job that I got at at a very young age, I've learned how to navigate it maybe faster because I had to like I was talking to CEOs I was talking to like like um MPs and by default in the place that I lived in which was Canterbury it was majority white so yeah I guess that's that's the short story I know I could go on <laughs> but <laughs> that, yeah, yeah that's my experience it's challenging great Definitely. and wait yeah. I'm going to throw the same question to you but of course you've had a bigger lifespan than the you know two of us yeah. and your experience has seen a very dramatic change over the year in how we see EDI so I will definitely throw it at you from a perspective of how is it when it started when you when you are our age and how yeah. has it changed you personally or the people around you as well it's a really good point just to um Sasha's point around um dyslexia so growing up for me, if you were dyslexic, it was not a thing. It was not recognised. Um, you would be in a in a class if you had it. You would probably be being diagnosed as something else, but you would be seen as a special child and possibly being put into a separate classroom. Um, it was that. It was that um, extreme, and nobody knew any different. Um, normal was seen as someone who came from you know a ma mother and father they had a um, pretty much um, uh, a middle class existence and if you're outside of that you were seen as different and different was wrong luckily for me um, I was born in London but I went to school in New Zealand um, from the age of uh, 9 to 15 I was in New Zealand and uh, I went to school there and noticed a lot of um, bias towards the indigenous population there, which is Maori. And so it gave me a great understanding from an early age of, hey, what are we, this is, this is wrong. Um, and so I got to form my, um, my ethics, if you like, and my values were formed around what I think is right and wrong. So when I came back, I had that. And um, yeah, so going into schools, a lot of the um, the teachings were around, we didn't hear, you know, I've been 
privilege to listen to a lot of Black History Month and the stuff that happened. If you wanted to know anything around black history, um, you pretty much had to watch a film or get a book out to read specifically for it, right? It wasn't there in your face. Uh, we'd be learning about the probably the Romans and the, you know, and Henry VIII and that sort of stuff, but not um, anything in black history. So I, I went out my way to learn about other stuff and obviously had a bias towards um, an affinity rather to like New Zealand and um, the Antipodean part of the world. And that gave me a hunger uh, for change. I worked for British Airways, which unbeknown to them, they were probably, um, they were pretty good at DNI, even though it wasn't a thing. The amount of different people that were working there. I don't know that there was um, equality and equity at that stage. It was almost, um, uh, if you can't do it, we'll find somebody who can, as opposed to you've got the capability. We need to make sure that we provide the capability here, the opportunity for you to to do your job. It was all, yeah. and so a lot of the interviewing practices were biased. Um, people would be um, hiring people who looked like them, sound like, sounded like them, um, had some affinity because, oh, you d you went to that school, so did I. It's that sort of stuff. What I find now is that um, companies are getting better at it. They're still learning, um, but I think for for me also, and I know that. Um, We've talked about this previously, not this, not on this podcast, but making sure that you look at things from um, a broader perspective and don't just look at one aspect of, um, you know, uh, EDI. So, for example, what I'm experiencing now is unconscious bias towards age for me personally, which, and it's only subtle, but it's certain things like... Um, you know, I was on a recent trip. Somebody said, oh, we're going to the pub and then possibly going to a club. And they, one of them turned to me and said, Wayne, do you want to come with us? Because they had already made up their mind that, you know, I probably want to sit home with pipe and slippers or something. Um, and uh, when I was in the club, somebody said to me, when was the last time you were in a place like this? And I said, last weekend. And they said, oh, Really? You know, so they didn't really know me, but they'd. Um, so um, yeah, I'm I'm conscious of that, but equally, making sure that all aspects of DNA are, uh, are covered, and not just following something that is personal to you, because then you start looking at it through a single lens and a single focus, and you become, you get on a cause rather than um, a movement. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. sharing that, both of you. I think those are stories that, you know, our listeners will definitely love to engage in. And what, you know, some of the thematic things that I have noted in there, which I think a lot of people from across the world would, would sort of relate to as well. Um, one of them is definitely, you know, microaggressions. People do it in very subtle ways. And if I can share my own personal story is a lot like what Sasha said. I grew up in Kenya. I'm of Indian descent as well. So colon, you know, colonization was a big part of our history and uh, was also responsible for eradicating a big part of our culture and history. And uh, 
you know, when you, I, I also went to a British curriculum school, so I knew little about my own cultural history or, you know, the local history in Kenya um, and across Africa and what colonization did to it. Because, we you know, how in our history chapters around the British curriculum, it's taught, taught much like what Wayne said, you know, you learn about the Romans and Henry VIII and how uh, colonization was just to bring civilization to more, mm-hmm. more of the, you know, barbaric, you know, how they put it, yeah. uh, parts of the world. But um, what happened, fortunately, is uh, I actually, this is surprisingly, I got to go to university still in the UK, but in a very diverse university where I met people from all across the world. And I think that's one beautiful part from my experience is when I started engaging in conversation with all these diverse people, people who, you know, had uh, experiences, like uh, Wayne said, working with indigenous people, experiences, uh, talking about their history, talking about their culture very openly. And that's when I discovered that, you know, a lot of pieces fit together in terms of the more we discuss and the more we engage, then our perspectives can be broadened. We learn more about the world. And more importantly, we see that there is a space for us at the table. And when where there is not, we get the confidence and the voice to demand one, if I can use mm. those words as well. And that's sort of been very positive in my you know, experience, although very likely microaggressions. I was told like uh, on a random tram one day, someone came up to me and went like, your English is really good. And then he paused for a second and continued with some, you know, for someone from your background. And uh, <laughs> uh, me being me obviously went into a whole rant about how, I, you know, a country that was colonized definitely has good English skills and all. But there are microaggressions in many, many different situations that I faced, um, you know, as a student now in the working space as well, Um, because even in Kenya, there is a lot of segregation that happens. The Asian communities are very segregated and uh, from the locals, uh, if I can, you know, from uh, the remote areas as well, we very rarely know a lot about what's going on in our own country because we live in a bit of our own bubble, which, um, you know, has been changing over the generations. I see people of my generation and how much more they're integrated and identifying as Kenyan rather than Indian Kenyan as well. And I find that very beautiful as well because these dialogues and social media playing a big role in uh, creating this openness. One thing that I would want to, you know, ask uh, Sasha uh, to digress a little bit into what she said, you did struggle with, uh, you know, you talked about your um, dyslexia and how it wasn't supported throughout school. Um, How have you found it different in the workplace now? Have you felt more supported in sort of the things you did growing, uh, you know, much more after school? Mm. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. Um, So for me, I think I was diagnosed quite late. So I think anyone who is diagnosed with anything quite late, you develop your own bad coping mechanisms. Um, So when I was, um, when I went to university, I do have to say I was supported quite a lot. There was, you know, this awkwardness in terms of like, it was uncomfortable speaking to this one um, support worker who who wasn't very helpful but the rest of it in terms of like getting the support that I needed for my assignments and like I had what was called an individual um learning plan which you know meant that I wasn't penalized for you know small mistakes that were due to my dyslexia for example in terms of the workplace I think if I'm honest the more that I grow up with it the more that I'm less ashamed of being who I am so I'm just outwitly dyslexic and there's no hiding it as in like for example when I started my new job I had a very very supportive 
um, CEO and at the time uh, manager um, and her, da- her daughter was also dyslexic. So she kind of understood and I've known her before. So she was very supportive. And I misspelled something um, in an email and, you know, she she was supportive in terms of like, oh, by the way, you know, this was misspelled. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, um, thanks for like bringing that up. But she was also like she didn't want to push me to basically say, oh, maybe you should think about, you know, putting something in your signature saying, you know, I'm dyslexic or whatever. She didn't want to push me on that. But I have learned um, from other people that they have put, for example, dyslightfully dyslightfully how do I say delightfully (laughs) delight dislike I can't say the word now (laughs) delightfully (laughs) dyslexic um so actually in my signature it says that you know by my name it's she her and then delightfully dyslexic and I think you know following from what Wayne said when he was growing up to where I am now I think it's actually just given that people are dyslexic and at the end of the day as long as you can read what people are saying there's no need to cry over some misspelt words <laughs> you look at the bigger picture let's you know do yep. what we're actually here to be paid for so I think I, I am supportive but in the same time it's like I need to unlearn all the things that I had coped with before to get a new understanding but I'm still unlearning I think mm. this is the the tragedy of um, not being supported at a young age is that you actually end up building so many useful skills they are useful but they're also very damaging because you are struggling and you develop these coping mechanisms to help you float but instead of floating you're like constantly swimming (laughs) um which is a really good analogy actually just thought about that now um so yeah I feel I feel supported like I'm dyslexic cool Yeah. No, I think that's brilliant. And it's showing how, you know, we're progressing. I, I love this quote. Actually, I read it in uh, one of Nelson Mandela's uh, autobiographies, and he talks about progressing over the prisons of your past. And we all, like you said, those are our coping mechanisms. That's the basic definition of a coping mechanism is whatever mm. we do to progress over the prisons of our past. And sometimes they are helpful, but sometimes they're not. But the beautiful thing, like you said, is learning, unlearning, relearning, and continuing on that. And I think, uh, you know, that's something that I see in the story that Wayne shared as well is he learned very early on to have empathy. I think the broader word that I have picked on is uh, EDI is only possible with empathy. And that's something that, you know, uh, sorry enough, we don't teach to young people. eh? You know, we don't look at empathy as a strength, but uh, rather as, oh, you're sensitive. Um, And so, Wayne, uh, you know, you said you talked about your early childhood moments and then you talked about, you know, how people now unconsciously have these biases about age and all, which is another discrimination on its own. And uh, you work in a space where you, uh, you know, work with all sorts of people, but you also train, you know, your part of your thing is developing skills in young people. Mm. And uh, I want you to just briefly tell us a little bit about uh, what your experience has been in EDI teaching or, you know, instilling these values like empathy and what are your sort of uh, key ways you navigate challenges when trying to teach people to, you know, broaden their horizons yeah, I, I think um, so. So for me, it's about, um, and you touch on a good point there, which is perspective. If we can get people um, broadening their perspective, then it opens them up to the possibility. So for me, there will always be people who get things wrong, 
but if the intent is there then it's okay and um you know people shouldn't have the fear of uh, retribution if they say something wrong <clears throat> if the intent is there it's absolutely fine so for for young people i try to get them to not look at um life through a single lens or the swimming lane that they're in but broaden it and you know basic things like listening to understand is really important we do, we don't learn anything by talking we learn by listening right so i'm 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 preaching to the converted with you guys but <laughs> but it's really really important for young people to know that the more that you <clears throat> you take on board <clears throat> the more that you can make informed choices and the more that you can um, understand it. Plato always used to say that even if you do have an opinion, right, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm sure he didn't say it like this, but he said, um, if, you've got a, if you've got a view, get it tested because only two things can happen. One is that it gets reinforced. But secondly, something more powerful can happen, which is somebody changes your mind. And we don't do enough of that. We don't do enough of, you know, so we, we grow up with these um, personal truths as opposed to facts. And these personal truths become absolute beliefs and they will pretty much um, colour and dictate the way which we can lead our lives. Mm. So much, in fact, that you can't then tell the difference between what is what is actually my view and what is something that's been inherited and it becomes really confused. So I don't know, I'm going a little bit onto, um, cause I did a level uh, philosophy, but I, mm. I obviously didn't learn as much as uh, in depth as, as Sasha, but I love these types of conversations. These are the conversations yeah. that um, we should be having, but I don't think people, not just young people, old people as well, older people as well will not they want a quick fix tell me how i do this i don't want to take the time to think about this mm. tell me what edi is and i'll i'll accept it or whatever it is yeah yeah um, absolutely powerful yeah, yeah that's Sorry. absolutely yeah. powerful i think you've kind of some mm. summed it well as well you know when mm. you talk about personal truths and they become absolute beliefs and then people forget that opinions can change over time. Mm. But when we think our opinion is the absolute belief, that's where the whole problem starts. And we stop looking at inclusion, but rather go into, like Sasha said, you know, we just become activists, uh, unilateral activists yeah. who have a single filter on, on them. Mm. So, yeah, that's definitely a very powerful thing. And, you know, that brings me to uh, talking about, like, how... You know, a lot of what you do, like, like you said, you're talking to the preaching to the converted, and yeah. those are experiences <laughs> that are powerful. You know, when mm. people can change your mind, and if I share what has happened, uh, you know, over the last three years, we like Fab, you know, the Fresh Advisors Board is one of those tools that definitely has brought together all these people from diverse backgrounds, experiences, and in every way possible. Although, like, you know, like we said, it's an iterative and learning process. Uh, you know, they try to include everyone and support them, meet them where they are. And that has been a beautiful experience. So, Sasha, you've just joined into the Fresh Advisors Board. I want you to share with us a little bit about what your experience is, has been with the FAB in terms of EDI. 
And then I'll throw it to Wayne because he's been there from the inception of why the fab started. Mm. I honestly, I love it. Like there's so many people from different backgrounds and different places in the world. And I think, you know, I was actually going to say earlier, the the best thing that you can do is make friends with people who do not, who, do, who don't look like you because you get a, a whole world sense, but even look like you, but experience different things to you because you get a a more passionate and empathetic understanding of the world when you meet so many different people. And I think that's what the fab brings in. And, you know, even in my team alone, um, the washing machine project team, you know, I'm from the UK, you know, there's people from South Africa, someone based in Hong Kong, someone from Germany, Um, you know, I mean, there's challenges in terms of time zones, but that's a challenge we can always get over. We, you know, I think we get so much benefit from, just having that that understanding from different people especially in terms of like um inclusion in terms of like you know I'm not an engineer but you know I have so many skills to give um and I feel like this is a place that I can be myself and I can be appreciated for what I bring to the table but I can also learn from other people and I think you know that is also part of inclusion is allowing people to have seats at the table but also you know, having people to help other people on the table. And I think that is a definitely a great reflection of the of the fab. I will close a bit uh, very soon with one last uh, tidbits from you. But just, you know, like thinking about how we started this conversation and talking about EDI as a Venn diagram with the center of it being a place of belonging. And then when we look at the outset, you know, the whole set of it, when you bring EDI together, much like what Wayne said, it becomes, uh, it fills in the gaps because everyone has different opinions and experiences. You, you know, having a diverse, included group of people uh, who have equitably given, been given opportunity just means you'll bring the best of all worlds together. So in a broader perspective, for me at least, um, any organization who does EDI right, and by right I mean continues to improve on EDI because there's no one simple straightforward solution to it, means they're getting uh, more value out of this whole experience. When people feel where uh, they're exactly where they belong, they tend to give their all. And that reflects in how organizations, whether it's student groups, whether it's, you know, companies, nonprofits, everyone, however they work, it really reflects in their uh, culture as a whole. And it brings in acceptance, it brings in growth. But more importantly, like Sasha said, it creates more and more tables uh, and more and more people to occupy all the tables. So, you know, we have to, when, you know, when we knock down the walls around a unilateral vision, we use that material to build bo- bigger tables for everyone, I'd say. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, the whole concept of EDI, especially with the perspective of equality looks like. And so I want to ask you for what's your last takeaway from this conversation? It could be a top tip. It could be something, you know, just a message of positivity to send around out there. Uh, anything really that you want to give as a takeaway, because it's such a broad topic. Actually, I've been thinking about this throughout the whole podcast, if I'm honest. <laughs> and I think the the biggest takeaway that I can give anyone else, because I take it away from myself, is that it's forever a, a learning journey. And I think, you know, even for me as a black woman, um, as you know, a person with a disability, um, it's still, I'm still learning about people who I don't represent. Do you know what I mean? And even within, for example, um, the 
you know, being a person of color or being a black person, there is still different things like colorism that you also need to understand. Um, and, you know, as a, a light skinned person, I can't speak on colorism because I benefit from it. But it's, for example, it's a learning curve of, you know, you will get things wrong, like Wayne said. But the caveat to that is, you know, don't make it about you, because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about learning what is best for the people around you. And I think once you get over that ego of like, oh, I can't be wrong or like, oh, I don't want to be wrong. It's like, for example, if you make a mistake, for example, say um, if someone says something off top, off key. So, for example, for example, someone misgenders someone. The best thing that you can do is apologize, get the, get the new gender um, that they identify with and use it. But don't make it a big deal about yourself. Like, for example, I've had situations where um, someone said something. It wasn't it wasn't even racist, but it was like it was borderline. Like, for example, my name is um, Langevelt and in Dutch, I think it means along long fields or something like that. And it was a it was a funny joke that someone said. And it was like, oh, so your family in the past must have worked in fields. And then someone else who is black was like, yeah, duh. And, you know, it was it was like a it was an awkward situation, but she started to cry. And it's kind of like when you get into that situation, it's like, don't make it about yourself, because one, it was never about that. Um, you know, apo- apologize if it's if it's necessary and move on. Um, and that's the, the same situation as I'm saying, for example, if you misgender someone. But um, as a cisgendered woman, I won't speak on that topic myself. Um, <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to say. It's like a long learning curve about just constantly learning and letting go of your ego of being wrong. Because once we learn things, we have, we're probably going to have to unlearn them anyways. You know, the world is changing, people change, terms change, and we need to learn new ones and get rid of old ones. So it's just a whole process of, you know, what's for now, but what's not for the future. And that's okay. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I've, I've loved this chat. And I think, um, unfortunately, there's not enough of these types of chats that go on in organisations. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, working for RS, I think um, we're on an upward trajectory to do that. But I think to other organisations, you know, just make sure that ED&I doesn't just sit and the responsibility and accountability for it in the team that is called ED&I within your corporation. And make sure that... Um, everyone understands what it is make sure you have the conversations with everyone in the uh, in the organization about what it is what does it mean to you have those frank and on- honest conversations and make sure that it's not seen as something that is a tick box or it's compliance but there's the reason we're doing it is for progression and um, progression in every sense so yeah, I, I think that um, make sure that try to create the environment where people aren't afraid of it, aren't afraid of any aspect, including the pieces that we've talked about today. Um, and as Sasha said, it's a, it's a journey and it will it will never and it should be something that we continue. We'll never get there because once we think we're done, we're done. Right. So we just we keep continuing it. And the way that you do that is by learning by others challenging your own perceptions um forming new ones and getting as many aha moments as you can 
yeah, that that for me is uh, is really powerful. Yeah, I think, and that's absolutely you know summarizing all of it. Like for me, my my key takeaway definitely, like we said, learn, unlearn, relearn. You'll keep learning. That's definitely there. And one other thing that you know I think everyone out there should think about is the intentionality and the empathy. There is no EDI without being intentionally diverse, intentionally inclusive, intentionally ensuring it's equitable and accessible for everyone. So intention is very important, you know, especially for companies. It's not just a document where you tick boxes and go like we have X amount of people from this background, X amount from this races. It's also about ensuring that these X amount of people feel like, you know, they're in the right place and the right time and being fostered in every way possible. And, you know, most importantly, uh, my key takeaway is what's, you know, something that Sasha has over and over said is I am, you know, my label is my labels, but my journey and my experiences might not reflect of everybody who also identifies against these labels. So I could be, you know, I could be Asian or Hispanic and I could be from a rich household or a poor household. And my labels might in one way or another may relate to a person but they entirely do not quantify everyone's collective experience. So as we go forward, looking into EDI as a, you know, a more space where we want to bring the whole world together, we also need to recognize there's no one size fit, fits all. And that's where unlearning, relearning and, you know, iterating comes about. So thank you so much, guys, for, you know, being a part of this conversation. Thank you for starting and igniting this topic. I know we had discussed so many things that we'd want to talk about today, but time forbids us. Uh, that does not mean EDI conversations stop here. We'd also love to listen from our uh, listeners about what are aspects of EDI that we should talk about more, especially given we're in diverse parts of the world and diverse trajectories in our lives. Um, so yeah, we will leave this uh, here today, but we will keep it open to our listeners to tell us what aspects of EDI we should discuss more. And if there's anything they want us to digress into more, we'd be happy to facilitate that in another episode. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making my day as well. I'm all smiley at the end of this conversation. And I hope to pick up your thoughts again soon enough. Have a good day. <laughs>